Welcome to the Gate Crashes podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president of McGregor and Liedeke. I'm your self-publishing insider, Carice Crow, novelist and speaker. Our Editor's Uncensored series has been fairly popular, so we thought we would go a different direction with asking editors their real thoughts on things. Yes. And so this time, we are polling editors and asking them, what pitches are they tired of seeing? What are they tired of seeing hit their desk? What tropes are overdone? What is like, what themes are they sick of? What nonfiction stuff just has been there, done that? Right. Um, and so we've got our first batch of responses. Nice. Okay. So this is um, editors that work with general market nonfiction. So New York publishing houses that work with nonfiction titles, self-help, memoir, practical stuff, like the, the general nonfiction type right. stuff, right? So the first thing that they're tired of seeing, someone wrote, I'm tired of seeing any sort of, how did we get here proposal about COVID-19? Oh. They said, we got here, we all lived through it. And unless you're Anthony Fauci, I really don't want to hear your two cents on this. Yeah. So COVID books, COVID nonfiction books, they're out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, who wants to read it? No, goodness. Not me. You no, know? no, not me. I know mm-hmm. like when early in the pandemic, a few publishing houses like pushed out some like how to cope with COVID, how to find comfort in COVID. What is the medical, what, what does science say about COVID? And they push those out really fast because like in the beginning, there was a desire to learn more. Right. There is not, not any desire. longer. <laughs> There's not that desire nope. Anymore. Nope. <laughs> and it was, it was December, 2019. And we were watching a disease documentary on Netflix. And it was the kind of thing where like, they show you like the researchers who go out in the field, trap the ducks and test them or the bats or whatever. And I remember sitting on the couch with Ben and saying to him, I fully believe that I will live through a pandemic at some point in my lifetime, (laughs) (laughs) three months later. And I almost, I almost posted that on Facebook because I really enjoyed the documentary series. I almost posted that that exact wording. Right. And I so wish I had, uh, because that would have been like the perfect thing. Like every December, look guys, I knew it. I knew that it. Was, that's like me and my epic accidental toilet paper hoarding in which of January of 2020, I posted that I accidentally bought a ton of toilet paper without realizing, without realizing that I accidentally already had to, a bunch of toilet paper. Okay. So I posted that in January, 2020. Three months later, we are in the midst of COVID. Toilet paper is like gold. And I had accidentally, like, I'd reached like level million on doomsday preppers. I've I've reached like (laughs) ultimate doomsday prepper level on accident before the pandemic ever started. We are still going through that toilet paper. Wow. That That was a lot of toilet paper. (laughs) Holy cow. Dude, I remember walking in Costco. It, to me, it's one of the funniest moments of the pandemic was um, walking through Costco and all these people like Costco, it's sold out of toilet paper. You can get it. Right. 
but suddenly everybody's buying paper towels. <sighs> it, it really tickled my funny bone. I thought oh, it was man. hilarious. Oh, All these man. people are going to be wiping with their butts with brawny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or people would buy like instant like biscuit mixes or instant cake mixes. And it's like, you still need eggs. Like you do right? realize you can't actually do anything with this unless you have other items that are probably also scarce. Going down to the farm store, buying some baby chicks. Next one. This editor is sick of seeing fat phobic fitness books. They said, I'm sick of being told that cellulite is the enemy or that I need to have the body of Blake Lively in order to achieve happiness. I Mm. want to exercise for my happiness, not as a punishment. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah. There's someone on Instagram. I've been trying to like get her to talk to me about doing a book and her whole angle is I have cellulite. I'm jiggly. You know, I lost weight this is how, this is my body, you know, and it's just very, it is very uplifting, but also she does value health. She's healthy. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. She's healthy Mm -hmm. and she's happy and she has no desire to necessarily change or like work on that cellulite or get, you know, get some, some tucks here and there. Hit a certain dress size. Right. Right. So yeah. Okay. The next one, they said they're tired of seeing Instapot cookbooks. The moment has passed. I want to know what the next huge gadget is. I'm so glad I never got into the Instapot thing. I was just, no, mm-mm, wasn't for me. I have one. Um, I like it. I don't love it. I'm not buying Instapot cookbooks. Right. I use it. I mean, it's great for rice, hard boiled eggs. Like it's great for some things, but I'm not like. I yeah, know. I have a rice maker. So I'm, I'm set. And that makes better rice than an Instapot. I will tell you that. <laughs> Instapot is weird. Like it gets kind of stuck to the bottom and you don't have that in a race maker. Right. Uh, next one. They said they're tired of seeing yoga books. The good ones have been done. They say, which I mean, I, I guess that makes sense unless you're coming up with like new poses or new. Right. But I mean, can you like, you'd know. have to be so specialized yeah, to be, to be coming up with new poses that wouldn't strain your muscle or cause injury or something yeah there would have to be there'd have to be something that you do that's really unique with yoga like really unique i don't know yeah that's why this is not anything (laughs) that's why this editor doesn't want to see it because it's like i can't cope maybe like a a yoga book with how to how to do poses to overcome uh, different disabilities. Like if you have like a amputation or oh, that might something work. like that, like, that I don't work. know. I mean, yeah. that's a good idea. And it, it may not, there may not be a big enough market for it from a traditional right. publisher point of view. But yeah. That would be a self-help book. Box. Yeah. And then you'd make mm-hmm. good money, go out speaking. Okay. And the last one. They said, generally any proposal that says, there's nothing like this out there. They said, look, I can't pitch it to my team and our sales team can't sell it if there's nothing else like it out there. Right. And nine times out of 10, they're just wrong. There are things that are just like it out there. You just, that's such a, that's such a, a red flag for me. Because that tells me that either you don't read in your genre 
Right. Or like you've created a monstrosity that should never have existed. Right. Right. They're right. Yeah. They go on to say books are sold on comp (laughs) titles. And if I can't compare a book to two or three others, then I can't do my job. And that's spot on. Like comp titles is in my opinion, the most annoying section of a book proposal, because it's the hardest to find out what are the best three to five books that already exist in the market. What are the best examples of what this book could be like? And you can't have examples that are bestsellers because that's out of touch. And you can't have right. examples that are horrible sellers because that's just shooting yourself in the foot. So you have to find this right. weird medium of this book is like my book, but a little bit different. And it had a solid sales record, but nothing too impressive. And like, <laughs> and do that like, five times. <laughs> yeah. Do that five times Ooh. when you're already like, I don't know. It's just, it's my least favorite part of book proposals. And, but it's so right. important because they need that to be able to project, okay, this publisher took this book and sold 30,000 copies on this platform. So if this author has this other platform, like that's how they start to like put right. it together and think, okay, maybe we can be successful with this because other people have been successful with similar books. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that does sound like it would suck. It's, I hate it so much. I hate it because, and this could probably be a whole episode about comp titles, but I hate it because authors nine times out of 10, when they say, here, Amanda, here's my, you know, I did my best on the, on the proposal. Now it's your turn. And I take it and I look at it and it's like, their number one comp title, their, most of their comp titles are all best-selling books. Mm. Like the most best-selling books of all time. Like I'll see like the mo- the biggest thought leaders, the the biggest, the biggest of the big in those genres are typically listed as the comp titles. Right. It's like, no, we can't use any of these. Like we, <laughs> we can maybe get by with one just to appease the author's ego, but- Right. The rest need to be down to earth. Let's assume that this is not going to be a runaway bestseller. Let's assume. Right. This this is going to be like a steady thing. Never assume it's going to be a runaway bestseller. Never. No. It's just. And they can't price for that. You're either going to be. Because you're right. Because you're either going to be wildly successful and congrats. Or you could still be successful, but feel like you weren't, you know? Yeah. People who expect to be wildly, like to just explode and then don't, but do sell enough that the publisher says, great, we want to pick up book two and book three, mm-hmm. still feel like they've failed because they didn't meet their unrealistic expectations. I'm of the mindset. It's easier to under promise and over deliver. Yep. Absolutely. Then if you set yourself up as there's nothing else like this out there or this book is just like these bestsellers, then you are over-promising times a million. So that was it. That was things that editors in New York working with just general market nonfiction, those are the things that they're tired of seeing. A lot of it was common sense. A lot of it is they really want something new, not more of the same, but not so new that there's not anything else already like it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Gate Crashers podcast. If you found value in this episode or in any of the episodes we've done, you can drop a tip in our tip jar. You can send a tip via PayPal. 
Simply use our link, paypal.me slash gatecrashers, or log into PayPal and search us using our username, which is at gatecrashers. And be sure to be here next week for a brand new episode. <laughs>